Vail Christian Church podcast. This week, Pastor Ben Pitney continues in our new series, Dream On, out of the book of Matthew. For this eighth message titled, One Gracious Gift After Another, turn to Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 15. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. did a little more research about that song because I dream on we're all you know a lot of people are just dreaming then but if you just dream about it it doesn't come true (laughs) I'm sorry you you can dream about it all you want you got to do something for things to come true you know and uh, yeah maybe the good Lord will come take you away he's definitely going to take all of us away (laughs) one of these days it's so, so the, the song has some relevance, and uh, I think that we're going to find some more of that today in Matthew chapter 20. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 20, this is a, a parable that Jesus uh, utilizes to do some teaching. Now, what I love about Jesus' parables and a lot of his scenes that we're going to examine continually through the uh, Gospel of Matthew, in particular, because when uh, when I'm frustrated or when uh, there's a lot of upheaval, when I'm stressed out, when the world seems like it's upside down, right? What gives me confidence is just a couple of things, right? If I know who I'm supposed to be, and if I know what I'm supposed to do, I have a lot of confidence. I can navigate things, no matter how bad it gets. I get distracted. I forget, just like anybody else. Uh, who I belong to, and who's in charge. But um, when I am reminded of just who God is, all right, and then it puts in perspective who I am and who I'm supposed to be, and then I'm given instruction about what I'm supposed to do, I have a lot of confidence, and that's what Jesus does throughout all of his parables. Now, there are some things that he also does, all right, that, eh, that are a little bit crazy because the parable that we're talking about today, it is called uh, Workers in the Vineyard. I think it's mistitled. Lots of things are mistitled, you know, by the translators a lot of times. But let's just talk about it just for a second because it's about um, employees and workers, really. That's what this um, parable is about, right? And most of us understand work based on meritocracy. That's another thing that we can identify with, right? Meritocracy, in other words, you work hard. You earn the rewards of your labor. In addition, most of us believe in study hard, work hard, earn lots of money, and then you have freedom and comfort and things like that. We believe in that. If you don't work hard, you'll be poor, okay? And um, so this work ethic is called meritocracy, and it seems fair. And in the United States of America, we like fair. We like fair. We wield it around like a weapon sometimes, but we like fair, right? It's, it's what the world expects, we think, all right? Now, in this parable, Jesus begins with the, uh, something. So we're going to kind of examine through this lens. I want you to think about this. He generally addresses something that is generally true or common or what seems like that's normal. And then there's always this element of abnormal, what is that? It's abnormal. And then there's generally a twist in there that is very uncomfortable. I'm going to call it confounding. He does something or it, it, it presents a confounding, frustrating, disturbing, or unsettling kind of 
thing that you have to deal with. So I want you to look through the, the sort of that lens. So in this parable, Jesus begins with the generally true or the common, right? That's the first thing. Well understood premise of laborers are willing to work and to expect to be fairly compensated. So we can connect with that. It's generally true, right? However, it takes an unexpected twist and it leaves tension. Jesus is all about that. It's sort of a, a rabbinic uh, way of teaching or a tool to create a little tension, all right? make you a little uncomfortable with the message it presents. So let's read Matthew 20. There's 15 verses. I think you'll enjoy reading through this. Let's read it together. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the workers for this standard wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When it was about 9 o'clock in the morning... He went out again, and he saw others standing around in the marketplace without work. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and I will give you whatever is right. So they went, and he, when he went out again about noon and 3 o'clock that afternoon, he did the same thing. And about 5 o'clock that afternoon, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why are you standing here all day without work? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go and work in the vineyard too. When it was evening, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the workers and pay them their wages, starting with the last hired until the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each received a full day's pay. And when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more but each one also received the standard wage. When they received it, they began to complain against the landowner, saying, these last fellow workers, you know, these guys, right, worked one hour and you've made them equal to us who bore the hardship and the burning heat of the day. And the landowner replied, replied to them, friend, I am not treating you unfairly. Didn't you agree with me to work for the standard wage? Take what is yours and go. I want to give to this last man the same as I gave you. Am I not permitted to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, there's a lot of unique things here. Where I want to start is with the kingdom of heaven. I think you should pay attention to that. The kingdom of heaven. Jesus uses the term in lots of his parables, the kingdom of heaven, and it's often referred to as um, the kingdom of God. These are interchangeable terms, and they refer to the same concept. Some people think that kingdom of heaven refers to heaven, right? That place where you go when you die. And that may be true in some instances. In the parable, uh, the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, though, refers to any place or time where God's reign, or where God reigns as king, okay? Where there is allegiance, where there is submission to his rules, to his values, and to his purposes, so the kingdom of heaven is where his work is done, actually. 
And this place and time can be right here and right now when, when we show kindness to a needy world around us, and there's plenty of need for that. When we offer counsel and comfort to people that are hurting, his kingdom is actually expressed as your character is being conformed into the image of Christ. His will is done in your life. Your life is the kingdom of heaven, as the Lord's Prayer actually states, right? You, lots of you have memorized the Lord's Prayer, or you're just really familiar with it, right? May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Where God's will is done on earth is the kingdom of heaven. All right, so in light of that, then let's talk about what is generally true. What's generally true about this? If you examine the, the, the structure of this parable, that generally true, then abnormal and confounding, you start with generally true or what's common, right? Here's the scene, a landowner looking for laborers in town. This is common practice in biblical times. It's even common today. You can, at different times of the year, you maybe see day laborers waiting out in front of Home Depot or other places like that, home improvement stores, right? Hoping for an opportunity to earn a day's wage. Contractor might stop by and pick up two or three guys for something that he needs done. Hop in the back, I'll pay you, right? I'll pay you cash at the end of the day. So the landowner and the laborers agree that they would work for um, a wage. In this sense, a denarius, right? which is the common day's labor wage. Very fair, generally true, common, all right? So this scene repeats itself four times throughout this parable, or throughout the day, actually. The, the slight difference is that the vineyard owner does not specify the exact wage for the subsequent workers sometimes. So I'm going to give you whatever is right, he says. I'll give you what's right. The landowner declares this, so the expectation is that those who worked a fraction of a day will receive um, a purported wage. So this is the common or generally true feature of this parable and of the time. We're in the workplace, so we can identify with the idea of what's right or just. This is common or generally true and commonly accepted. So let's move on to the abnormal then, or uncommon. So the vineyard master, the, the landowner, he pays the workers in reverse order. The last one is paid first, and that already kind of sets you up just a little bit. These last workers got a whole day's wages, right? A full day's pay. Wow, how fantastic for those guys, right? That would be like getting a bonus after only two months at work. What a generous manager. What an awesome guy to work for. What a great company. Although not explicitly mentioned, you can surmise the middle workers were also paid the same thing. They also must have been surprised with receiving a full day's wages for a partial day's work. What a great place to work. Okay. Now, imagine what the first workers are thinking. They're calculating just like you and I would. One hour gets one denarius. I work 12 hours. Let's see 
I'm going to be rich. Okay? What happens? The abnormal happens. These early workers got exactly the same as the other guys. That's totally not fair. If that happened in your family with your children, there would be a total rebellion <laughs> and a complete fit, right? I worked harder than the last guy. The other workers grumbled, but you paid us all the same. They were indignant at this perceived unfairness. Now, let's move on to the confounding, because here we are. The uncomfortable tension. Jesus loves this. Like I said, it's rabbinic. It's a way of teaching. It creates a little tension here, the landowner explains. Look at verses 13, 14, 15. I want you to focus on these. Friend, it's a little, it's a little sarcastic. Friend, friend. You say, wait a minute, we're not friends, right? I'm not treating you unfairly. Didn't you agree with me to work for the standard wage? Take what is yours and go. I want to give, it, give to this last man the same as I gave to you. Am I not permitted to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you envious? Literally, literally, are your eyes evil because I'm generous? Hmm. Pretty harsh words from the landowner. Really harsh, actually. Does the landowner's response sit well with you? Now think about it. Be truthful. Does it sit well with you? Or do his actions and words confound you? You know, I don't like it when things are unfair. Do you like it when things are unfair? One of the things that frustrates me the most about this uh, mask is going somewhere and it's inconsistently like sort of um, um, ways you adhere to the protocol of this. It's inconsistent, right? Have you been into a restaurant and then somebody's wearing it like this? Right? And it, I'm just like, there's no even, in my view, there's not even any reason to wear it. And it's somebody serving your food or whatever. Like Linda and I were in a restaurant the other day, and all, not just one, all the bus boys were wearing it like this. I get it. It fogs up my glasses. I totally get it. Now, I, I'm creating a little tension. You know, because the mask is political. I don't care what you say. It's all become crazy political, right? And um, so, so if you don't think that Jesus didn't understand this, so does the landowner's response set well with you? Because it doesn't with me, actually, either. I'm justice-oriented. I want things to be fair and right, and I'm, I'm all about that, right? Or do his actions and words, do, do, do they confound you? Do, or you're like, yeah, that's great. That's totally, I like it that way, right? See, it's confounds us, it frustrates us, it unsettles us because it's contrary to our own sense of fairness. Our own sense of meritocracy, right? We worked harder, so we shouldn't get, uh, so, so shouldn't we get more? I mean, I worked harder, shouldn't I get more? Also, because we worked harder, we feel we're superior than the other workers, our superiority entitles us to more. Yet the landowner treated every worker as equal. So Jesus leaves us in this confounded state. 
And I want to give you a moment for it to sit with you as well and sit in the tension. You just think about this. Think of how this parable actually applies to you, even right now. People who like to take a shortcut, don't, I mean, they, that just doesn't sit good with me. I'm not about shortcuts. I don't like shortcuts. I don't like people trying to take advantage and all those kinds of things. I like things to be fair. I really do. So we have an HR handbook at Vail Christian Church. You would think you don't need one at church, but, you know, when it comes to vacation and the rules and all these kinds of stuff and the protocols and all this and the labor laws, no, no. Even pastors, I got to go, hey, <laughs> here's how we're going to be fair, right? And that's what the HR rules and labor laws are generally all about. Now they're out of control. Just talk to my wife. She is a um, HR executive for a big company, and oh my gosh, you know, it's craziness out there. It's just gotten crazier and crazier, but here it is. Here it is. With which worker do you identify with, right? What do the characters represent, actually, in this story? Have you thought about that? See, in this parable, of course, the land owner or the vineyard owner represents God. And the different workers represents people that God has called into his kingdom. Each uh, different in life situation and attitude, the workers represent you and me, all of us, right? Now, what about the work, though? And that's where I want to start. What about the work? What does the work represent? So let's just look at this just for a minute. Do you see work literally as your daily grind? Lots of people do. Work hard, spend lots of time on the phone. Skip or take a short little lunch, attend meetings via Zoom or in person all day, write and respond to email, and then at the end of the day, you earn a fair wage as your salary. Right? Can I suggest that the parable speaks to a different domain of work, actually, than the pursuit of a salary or a career? You got to separate this a little bit. The work refers to work in God's kingdom in the spiritual domain. That's what he's talking about here. Ephesians 2.10. You hear um, Paul proclaim this, right? For we are his workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so that we may do them. So this work has eternal significance that Jesus is talking about here, illustrating. It's how... God's kingdom is brought to earth, actually, through and by his people. It may be the work of social justice. Maybe it's that. Maybe um, ministering to less fortunate people in the, uh, our society. It might be evangelism. It might be sharing the good news to your friends, leading someone to Jesus. This, at least, um, I think, um, strikes a chord with two of what Vail Christian Church calls the ends. In the end, we, have a, we, we describe who we want to be as a church. And so let me, let me just give you um, some of the ends of Vail Christian Church because the ends that des describe what we want to be, they drive who we want to be and then therefore what we do, they are all about who we are and then what we do, okay? Two of these ends, I think, identify with this. Let me just put the first one up. It says, uh, one of the ends of Vail Christian Church, we invest time, talent, and gifts 
willingly to support the functioning body of Christ. That's the church. That's work. That's work. That's ministry work. Here's the second one. We engage with our community, our city, our nation, and the world, caring for others both inside and outside the church with the goal of communicating the gospel message and increasing the fame of Jesus. That's work. That's kingdom ministry work, right? So how do we react to this work? For some of us, it's difficult, and for others, it feels easier. And we wish that we could do more of God's work. Maybe some of us uh, wish others would do more of their fair share of God's work, right? <laughs> As compared to us, right? Be careful about going down that road too far, but I think there's a natural tendency for us to assign levels of importance to God's kingdom work. It's pretty natural. We all do it. The artificial hierarchy may put full-time minister people right at the top, right? Followed by leaders in the church, Bible teachers, Sunday school leaders, ministry servants, etc. Within this man-made hierarchy, we, we compare ourselves to others around us. We just do. Unconsciously or consciously, we might evaluate our own worth by comparing our work to other people. We become offended if God appears to bless others in sort of this lower place than us, you know, giving them more than they deserve. If he appears to bless us less than we deserve, right? So what workers are you? What worker are you? Do you see yourself as the last worker who does an insignificant amount of work, yet rejoicing in the unexpected gift from your generous boss, right? Do you identify with the early workers, maybe? Offended because your sense of fairness is called into question. Or are you the silent middle worker who were, you know, the, the middle worker was blessed by the wages, yet probably secretly inside, feel like you deserve more when compared to the late worker. You just didn't say anything, right? <laughs> so this parable teaches us that in God's eyes, we are important and valuable workers in God's vineyard. Different but impactful in our own way. We have different roles, different gifts, different talents, and we each ought to contribute to the best of our ability without comparing ourselves to fellow believers. So today I want to give one encouragement and one admonishment. Let's just start with the encouragement first, right? To those of us who feel like the last worker, this parable ought to be tremendous amount of encouragement. The last workers are not as strong or maybe as fit, so we're not chosen earlier in the day. Have you ever been picked last for kickball? It's probably because you're just not very good at kickball. You just don't like to say it out loud, but that's why you get picked last, by and large. Right? Now, here's the thing. God went chasing after, seeking after the last workers. Did you notice that? Not because he needed more workers, but because he wants to bless these people, to bring them into his family. So even if we feel like the last worker, 
Or we may not have labored in, uh, maybe we've labored in a lower level of God's work. We are not inferior or less worthy in God's eyes. Did you catch that? In fact, God seeks us out and blesses us. Last workers, he's extremely, extravagantly generous with, right? We are so loved. The last workers are really loved. Don't forget that. Now, that doesn't give you the, a free pass just to be taking a shortcut. We'll get to that a little bit. Here's the admonishment to the more mature believer who labors in more visible position, maybe for a longer period of time. We should not look down or have an attitude of superiority towards those who have different gifts and different roles. And I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, right? Paul lays this all out in terms of how we're connected to each other. And we each have different gifts. And they're all important and they're all valuable to God equally. You read in Romans 12, right? Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself uh, uh, with sober judgment. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, from one body each... And each member belong to all the others. Your gifts are not for you anyway. Therefore, the, the, the body of Christ. Okay. So this then is the first application of this parable. Jesus reveals to us our attitudes about ourselves, our worth, and he teaches us to honor and respect one another. And this is really important right now, right? Because we're... We're having to do things. We're having to be some things. We're having to adjust the way we function as church in the middle of all this craziness. So we got to be reminded of these things so we don't get off track. Remember, we want people to want what we have. So we have to live in a way to where they would want it. I think this is super helpful. Let's talk about this unmatched gift for just a minute, though. Because here's the second lesson God communicates through this parable. The unmatched gift of salvation. Let me illustrate this application by describing two people. I think you'll get it, right? Imagine one person who accepted Jesus or confessed Jesus Lord as a teenager. And then he committed himself to proclaim the gospel to a needy world. Throughout his adult life, he becomes an evangelist, becomes a preacher. He trains ministry leaders. He ultimately preaches the message of salvation to millions of people. I'm thinking about a guy named Billy Graham. How about that guy? When he died, he certainly received the crown of glory reserved for him. I'm sure of it. Now, I want you to consider, though, a second person, right? One who had disdain for religion and rebelled against God all of his life. As a career, he takes advantage of the less fortunate. He gets rich off the backs of people and uh, their broken lives and all of his underlings. And then at the end of his life, he sees this train wreck of a life that's left behind. He repents of his lifetime rebellion, confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior. Does this person also receive salvation when he dies? Does this last one really get into heaven, into eternal life in God's presence as the first one did? That's a confounding and disturbing question, isn't it? Of course it is. Have you ever heard of someone on their deathbed repenting and confessing Jesus as Savior? 
in their final hours? Is his salvation genuine? Can God really redeem a person like that? What is this person's salvation compared to the salvation of Billy Graham? Can the gift of salvation actually be compared, actually? So this is kind of the unsettling tension, right? The parable of the vineyard laborers teaches us that salvation cannot be compared. But we actually, I think we do it all the time. That's why I referred to it earlier as the unmatched gift of salvation. Salvation is God's gift to give to us undeserving people. God is so generous. He's so merciful. He's so loving that even the last one can receive his gift of salvation. It's free. And he can receive it the same as those who had followed Christ faithfully since childhood. Here's what God says. Look at verse 14. And 15. You got to look at this. Take what is yours and go, he says. I want to give to this last man the same as I gave to you. Am I not permitted to do what I want with what, what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous so that the last will be first and the first will be last? So God is so generous with his gift of grace to us that it should leave us actually speechless. So don't try to compare. Don't be envious or feel entitled. So many people feel entitled in our world, don't they? Including Christ followers. We're entitled. None of us deserve the free gift. God is extravagant and gives grace to all of us, regardless of who we are, what we do, or when you confess Jesus as Lord. So you might ask, well, can I live then as an unbeliever in disobedience to God Revealing, uh, reveling in a life of sin, then at the last minute, accept Jesus as Lord just before I die and be saved. Does that work? There's actually an example in the scripture of a last minute conversion. You heard of that guy, that thief on the cross hanging next to Jesus, right? He confesses his sin, acknowledges Jesus as a sinless Savior, and the Lord promises him what? Luke 23, 47. Jesus says right straight up to him, today you're going to be in paradise with me. Wow. So to the person who wants to try this, this is what I would say. I would say, do you really want to gamble with eternal life in that way? Do you really want to slip into the kingdom by the skin of your teeth? Life's brief. You don't know how much time you have left on earth. You don't know what circumstances of death are going to be. What if you die before you receive salvation? I just say, I, I, I wouldn't gamble. I don't think it's a good idea. Hebrews 4, 7. Listen to this. Oh, that today you would listen as he speaks. Do not harden your heart. The only reasonable option is to repent and believe him today, right now. So if you still insist on waiting because you don't want to give up what you're enjoying, here's the thing. Don't be mistaking, mistaken. You're not giving up anything. It's a, it's a facade. It's a lie. It's a smokescreen that the devil puts up. Life is sweet right now, here and now. 
you gain right relationship with God, the Holy Spirit to guide and counsel you, a new family in the church, all the gifts of eternal life you can enjoy right now, right here, right on earth. Why would you wait? Let's talk about God's extravagant nature because when you think about it, this parable is not really about the vineyard laborers, is it? It's not about them at all. It's really about the landowner. It's really about God. But you start going through this and you start, you start making it about you, right? I, that's what I do. seems like it's about me. The parable illustrates not only the nature of the kingdom of God, but also about the nature of the God of the kingdom. And the most important element of God's nature in this parable is his extravagant gift of grace. Wow. This is the main point of the whole teaching. God is extravagant. He chooses to bless the least, the last, the undeserving with grace upon grace. That is grace just stacked on top of grace. You find that right out of John 1.16. It's just such a great illustration here where um, it says, For we have all received from his fullness one gracious gift after another. God's way of acting seems unfair because he decides to be gracious. He decides to be loving, forgiving, and merciful to those who didn't earn it, work for it, or even deserve it, right? That's God's economy. That's the God that we worship. His kingdom where generosity and kindness reigns. How right side up this appears compared to the world's perspective, which is upside down, maybe more than ever, right? So let's just get to it. What's this got to do with me? When the world cries out for punishment, God cries out for forgiveness. When the world reminds people of their duty, God seeks to show them love. When the world demands that people be held responsible, God extends more grace. God seeks out those who are lost. He hires those he shouldn't. He pays more than they deserve, and he gives them his most precious treasure, his own son. For free, for free, all of us receive this undeserved grace, all of us, whether early in life or late in life, this grace extended on someone's deathbed is the grace you and I live by every single day, or at least we should. And this grace comes by the cost of and through the path of the cross. So we've been talking about how radical being a Christ follower is and how radical the church is and how radical our job and our message is. This is really important or we get derailed. Understanding just exactly who God is helps me know who I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to do. So number one, do you fully grasp the extravagance of God given to us? who did not work for it or deserve for it. The, 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 the extravagance of God, I mean, he is, he just heaps it on. Do you understand? Do you fully get your arms around that? Because you need to work at that if you don't. Number two, do you have 
the attitude of the last worker who is overcome with joy for receiving the extravagant grace of the Father. So I talked about Billy Graham a little bit. Can I give you a quote? I think it's one of his best quotes ever. Let me just put this up for you. This is what he says. He says, I'm not going to heaven because I've preached to great crowds or read the Bible many times. He says, I'm going to heaven just like the thief on the cross who said in the the last moment, Lord, remember me. That's why I'm going to heaven. So number three, we are all the last worker. What's this have to do with you and me? We're all the last worker. We're all the thief on the cross next to Jesus who receives God's grace. Let's go after it this week. Let's get after it, right? Living in and extending the extravagance of the God of the kingdom. That's our role. That's your mission. That's who you're supposed to be. That's what you're supposed to do. When you walk across that bridge, get after it. It gives me confidence to navigate all the craziness this week. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. Bow your head with me. Lord, this is good. Thank you. Thanks for the tension. It's hard to say it. And help me live it. Help me live it, Lord. Not just dream about it. We know that's not going to make it come true. Help me to live it and to work at it and extend it, to model it, live in a way that people want what we have. In particular, as a Christ follower, as a household of faith, as a family of families, pray that this would be irresistible. We know you irresistible. We know you're responsible for the results, God. Help us just carry out our mission. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Join us again next week as we continue out of the book of Matthew. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com. Thank you.